He's the man. <laughs> it's awesome, funny, random, doesn't make any sense, but it's good. Prepare yourself. Okay, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, everyone, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. Uh, another great podcast we're going to be doing this this week as my uh, good friends Chris Plano and Jeff Patton are going to be joining me here momentarily as we're going to be talking about the NWA television taping from February the 14th, 1987 at the uh, Charlotte Coliseum, which is now known as the Bojangles Arena, uh, a very classic uh, coliseum. A lot of huge events held there, and this one is uh, definitely uh, one of those. And uh, so I'm excited about about talking about this show. So without any further ado, I want to bring in my my co-host Jeff Patton and Chris Plano. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, Tony. Doing great, Tony. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this week's show. It's going to be great. So, uh, guys, uh, th- this week uh, it seems like the great state of North Carolina is starting to kind of open up a little bit uh there a lot of a lot of the stores are starting to open up again and um i'm excited about that what about you guys i am too just too bad the barbershop's not open yet because i could definitely use a haircut <laughs> yeah same same here tony i think everyone's kind of uh biting chomping at the bit here wanting to get out and about and uh it's good to see that we're in phase one of, of the reopening and hopefully uh, by the end of uh, next Friday, in about nine days, we'll be going into phase two. So hopefully, some positive vibes. Yeah, I'm hoping so. And uh, I know I'm I'm chomping at the bit, Chris. I know you are too. As we're waiting to hear uh, the Live Nation's um, report on whether or not they're going to open up the concerts um, for uh, you know for this summer. I, I have my doubts, but I'm still got my fingers crossed that we'll get to go party with uh, with the crew and Poison and Def Leppard and Joan Jet. So uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, on a bad note, uh, Jeff, I know you you probably got the word. Um, the uh, the huge NAWA championship match uh, that was supposed to be taking place uh, was actually canceled because of COVID nineteen, and I'm I'm definitely disappointed. Uh, but I know that uh, the great promoters there, Jeff, um, are putting together a, a, a comeback show for that or a return date. So uh, all you fans out there will definitely you know, keep you up to date on that as soon as we know. Um, but, guys, the, the show this week, um, as we uh, talked about last week, we've we, uh, been breaking down some of these um, old uh, classic shows. And so this week we're going to be doing a uh, television taping of um, – of one of the greatest uh, times of our lives, 1987, and uh, some of the classic uh, matches from like NWA World Championship Wrestling, or I'm sorry, Worldwide Wrestling and NWA Pro Wrestling. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the stars such as um, Ivan Koloff and Dick Murdoch, Lex Luger, the United States Tag Champions, Ron Garvin and Barry Windham, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, our good friend George South, Tully Blanchard, Bob Armstrong, um, the Rock and Roll Express, Manny Fernandez, Rick Rude, Dusty Rhodes, Vladimir Petrov, 
Ric Flair and Nikita Koloff, and so much more as we're going to be breaking down this week's show. Uh, guys, start us off, Jeff. You, you were actually at this show. Uh, what are some of your memories? Uh, yes, it was actually the second time I was able to see uh, live wrestling. Um, I was 14 years old, uh, and my brother was 12. And uh, my cousin, just out of the blue, said, hey, you know, uh, me and my husband were planning on going to Charlotte to the Coliseum for wrestling. And um wanted to know if we would wanted to go. And I said, oh, absolutely. You know, so, uh, yeah, it was a special time. Uh, first TV taping, um, it was truly awesome. Just being there, uh, you know, we weren't on TV. We were sitting so far back, and it was dark in the arena. Back then, they had, you know, to where you could probably only see, like, the first two rows of the fans, uh, but they kept the arena dark. But uh, it was really cool. Uh, they had a stage up for doing the interviews and um they changed the backdrops for the uh the stages between during the intermission for each television show that they take there oh that's really cool now chris uh did were, were, were you ever able to go to any uh any nwa television tapings no never any nwa tv tapings other than when i went to a couple of pay-per-views per se but not weekly show tapings i was privileged to go to uh, numerous WWF TV tapings back in the mid to late 80s. And back in those days when Vince McMahon was doing it, he would actually tape four shows in one night for the whole month he would have in the can, uh, which was really interesting. It was always a very, very long program when he did his TV tapings for WWF superstars, but would always have a couple of huge dark matches with Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper and other big names to fill the arena up for, you know, four weeks of tapings, which was, which was a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I was able to go to a few NWA TV tapings and, uh, as well. Uh, most, all the ones I went to were held in Greensboro. So I, uh, got to go and, uh, I, I know we, we've, we've kind of touched on this in some of our previous podcasts, but we, uh, the, the infamous, um, bench press challenge between the powers of pain and the, um, and the road warriors. Um, we actually, um, but yeah, I had the chance to, uh, to go to the, uh, TV taping when they done the infamous bench press contest between the road warriors and the, and the powers of pain. Um, I was there at that one and I went, went to a few other ones too. So, uh, the uh, TV tapings for the NWA were, were definitely uh, kind of neat um, to, to you know to, to go see. Uh, but now talking about this one uh, that took place in um, on February twenty uh, I'm sorry February fourteenth nineteen eighty seven. Now Chris, before we went on the air, you and I were talking a little bit, and you touched base on this. So here in in Charlotte, they they had you know some of the some, well actually all their biggest stars, but earlier in the day. Uh, they also had they they also done another uh, television taping, correct, Chris? Right. Yeah, they were at the WTBS studios earlier uh, that day, a matinee show in Atlanta, and then shot up to Charlotte to do more TV tapings. You know, later that evening, so they were putting a lot in in the can at that time as well. Yeah, and and imagine that, guys. I mean, uh, to drive from Atlanta, Georgia, to Charlotte is what four hours. Three and a half, four hours. So they get, yes, two to three hours. Yeah. yeah. 
So so they get in there and they 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 work they work a, a show uh, and then get right in the car shoot up you know I eighty five uh, and get to Charlotte to to uh, to do this one and of course on this show they uh, shot some pretty big angles uh, you know talking about with the uh, with with Ron Garvin and Jimmy Garvin you know putting them together as a as a team. Uh, because I think at that point they were probably trying to get Barry Windham ready for Ric Flair, so they they had to break up that you know Ron Garvin Barry Windham team. But uh, Jeff, take take us back um, on this show. Uh, what what are what are some of your memories as as far as the matches go? Um, I do at the time uh, Ron Garvin and Barry Windham, you know, were the United States Tag Team Champions, and uh, I know that. The Midnight Express, which at the time was uh, beautiful Bobby Eaton and uh, Loverboy Dennis Condry, um, were getting title shots and kept coming up short uh, time after time. And I remember uh, Cornette for weeks kept saying, you know, one day, Ronnie Garvin, I'm going to make you so ugly that your family's not even going to know who you are. And that night, he definitely tried to do that. And then, of course, uh, the World Tag Team Champions, uh, the Robin Oil Express, uh, lost the tag team titles in uh, it was the later part of 1986 to Manny Fernandez and uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, which was a shock because that was just a newly formed team. Uh, and, of course, they were the champions defending against the Rock and Roll Express that night. And then, of course, Ric Flair was world champion in uh, – he was having a feud with the U.S. heavyweight champion Nikita Koloff. Now, now, Chris, on on, uh, you know, take take your input on this. Uh, what 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 is your opinion of the teaming of? Uh, because I I know you I know you know the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez really well. Uh, mm-hmm. What what is your thoughts on Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude as a tag team? I I, I mean, Tony, I think they work very well together as a tag team. They. I really truly like them as a tag team. I remembered Rick Rude from his WWF days, and and you know he was kind of bouncing around. But him and Manny Paul Jones as their manager, it seemed to work. They had great feuds in the NWA, um, and I just think the look you had Rude always had a great physique on him always throughout yes. his career. Manny was kind of the brawler. You know, you had Paul Jones who was the mouth behind them. And and it and it worked, and you know, whoever they were stepping in the ring with, they were going to have a brawl, no matter no matter what. And and they really brought a, a good dynamic, really to the tag team division. Had great matches with the Rock and Roll Express and and, and numerous others, and um, it was it was it was good just for the NWA overall. And uh, and they brought some great heat from the crowd, and 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 did well in the ring as champions or even non champions. Yeah, you know, Jeff and, and Chris, one of the things that I liked about this uh, this pairing of Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude, um, if if you go back to 1986, uh, well, let, let's let's even go back a little further than that. From like 1983 to like 1986, it was just a a a strong feud between um, Mr. Number One Paul Jones and our good friend. Handsome Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man Valley. I mean, they they had every gimmick match known to man. Loser leaves town. Uh, they the, Paul Jones shaved, you know cut off Boogie's uh, infamous beard. Um, they shaved his head. I mean, they they did it all. But by 1986, 
Um, that was pretty much the end of the feud between Paul Jones and Jimmy Valiant. Um, and but but the cool thing about that was if you go back in time, you look at Paul Jones from like '83 when he started his feud with with, with Jimmy Valiant, and through '86, he wasn't part of anything of, of, of any kind of championship belt, which which was kind of odd. Because if you look back, I mean, Paul Jones had, uh, you know, he 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 was he, he won a lot of championships with the NWA, um, you know, Mid Atlantic champion and all that, tag team champion. So, uh, so so to see Paul Jones kind of get away from of the, the army of of goons that he had, always you know, fighting with Jimmy Valiant, and he had the Raging Bull and Manny Fernandez and and Rick Rude as a team, uh, and then they won the tag belts. I think that took Paul Jones up. Uh, you know, up up a couple notches, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and like I said, it was unexpected because it was just a team that was formed out of the blue. And I remember um, the Rock and Roll Express at Starcade '86 had a cage match with uh, Ole and Arn Anderson, where they injured both the Rock and Roll Express. They weren't a hundred percent. And then uh, Paul Jones and uh, Manny Fernandez and the Raging Bull uh, and uh, uh, Rick Rude came out and challenged the Rock and Roll Express on TV. And, uh, of course, Rock and Roll Express were not going to turn down the challenge. And then they had the big TV match on uh, World Championship Wrestling on a Saturday night. And uh, they ended up winning the tag team belts from the, the Rock and Roll Express. And then he kept them for a long period of time until, you know, Rick Rude made the jump to uh, WWF. Well, and as a matter of fact, uh, a little inside scoop on that, uh, they actually never beat the Rock, the, I'm sorry, the Rockland Express never really beat Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude for the belts. Uh, Rick Rude just left and went to the WWF and actually took uh, one of the those beautiful silver with the gold eagles world tag team belts with him and uh, and uh, what I've the rumors I've heard was when Rick Rue was buried, uh, his wife had him buried with one of those NWA World Tag Team Title belts. So um, anyway, I mean that those, those belts were beautiful uh, and a classic, but um, uh, great you know great tag team uh, and a great little feud. And 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 I think if Rick Rude hadn't left uh, to go to WWF. Um, I think that the feud between Rock and Roll and 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 uh, and Bull and and Rude uh, would have been almost just as good as the, as their feud with with the Midnight Express because Bull Bull and Rude were 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 great workers and um and and I, I and I'll, I'll, the the couple matches that I got to see uh, between the four uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I mean they were just good workers in the ring from both a technical standpoint and even a psychological standpoint, and it it, it just it just worked and. And you're right, you know, Rude did jump ship to the WWF, and obviously I think there was money involved in that and other other plans for him. But also for Manny Fernandez, kind of almost had to somewhat reinvent himself after that, becoming not really, you know, lost his tag team partner, was always a, a decent singles wrestler as, as well. But, like, you know, what was the future for him at that point? So it was kind of just a kind of a, a quirky time, but – while they made that run, it was certainly great for the NWA. Yeah, I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Now, uh, going over some of these matches uh, from the uh, from the TV taping, 
uh, one of the first matches I, that I saw when I when I went back and, and done my research. Um, and these guys were actually, and, and I'm not sure exactly when this period of time that they were champions, but I do know they were United States Tag Team Champions. I'm talking about uh, the Russian Bear Ivan Koloff and Mr. Uh, Shuppy Bunch of K Favors himself, Dirty Dick Murdoch. Um, and, and they actually, uh, you know, as a TV tape, and so, of course, it's a squash match, a job match, but against Brody Chase and Randy Mulkey. Uh, Jeff, I'm sure that match didn't last very long, but, um, but, but, but guys, let, let's, let's talk a few minutes about how much um, uh, uh, talent and history uh, is, is, is in just that team of Ivan Koloff and Dick Murdoch. Exactly. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, when Magnum TA at, uh, in October of 86 had his uh, car accident and um, was out of wrestling, um, you know, they decided that Nikita would be uh, his, uh, Dusty's new partner. And that infuriated Ivan. So Ivan started a feud. He brought in Vladimir Pietrov. Uh, with you know to to go after Nikita, well then of course, uh, Dick Murdoch returns and he's going after Dusty and Nikita because he's mad because he wasn't you know Dusty's choice because they used to be tag team partners years ago, and that infuriated him. So he joined in with the uh, the Russians and uh, started the feud. And Dick was crazy, man. I mean. Uh, even I, I can remember after the match was over. I mean, they kept they took the chain and started whipping the the the, the jobbers with the chains and and everything. And but man, and I remember at one point didn't uh, Big Murdoch brainbuster Nikita on the concrete floor. Yeah, I remember and that. He injured he, his neck. Yep, he attacked him from behind. Yeah. Uh, that happened probably somewhere around uh, March to April because Nikita was wearing the uh, the neck brace. Uh, during the 1987 Crockett Cup, so yeah, uh, a lot of history there, um, and uh, and I, and I'll tell you a, another interesting fact about this, the, you know, this 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 time frame of, of NWA. Um, Lex Luger was there, and he was you know he was getting hot. He just you know uh, I, I think he I think he was fresh off of um, uh, joining actually joining the Four Horsemen. Uh, during this time, so we got Lex Luger uh, going up against Keith Patterson on this show. Um, guys, even though Luger uh, wasn't that great of a worker, uh, Luger had the million dollar body, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was, you know, bigger than life. I mean, he had he had the physique that you know every wrestler wanted and and you know obviously this was a match I couldn't even if it went if it went 2 minutes it might even went 2 minutes <laughs> too long but you know and and with the signature move the torture rack and they you know they marketed that was his finishing move and every week and that was the move the you know the you know the big guys and stars that held the titles didn't want to get into and, and Luger was a threat to pretty much everyone, no matter, you know, what title division they were in. He was a threat in the NWA and you know, had had so many great feuds from top to bottom, and we could talk about it all night. Yeah. And then uh, from there, it takes us to uh, what I think is the highlight of this TV taping, uh, something that you uh, 
as a wrestling fan watching it, you uh, didn't see it coming, and it really, it, it really started. It, it took wrestling, you know, it, it took the this uh, this nineteen eighty seven and kind of stepped it up a little bit, and that that's what that's when like Jeff touched on it a little earlier. But when Gord, when uh, Jim Cornette burned the face of Ronnie Garvin, and then Jimmy Garvin, who who had just wrestled on TV a short time earlier against our good friend George South, uh, comes to the ring and 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 all the baby facers are like, what? Okay, what's he doing in here? And then they realize, you know, hey, that's that's his brother, but 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 we all know in real life it's, it's actually his stepfather. But but um, re- really cool thing. Um, to, to you know, to see Jimmy Garvin come out there, uh, to the aid of of his brother Ron Garvin as as Cornette threw that that hellacious smoke uh, fireball in his face, and I love how like when they went back and put it in slow motion and they paused it, I mean Garvin's face was just engulfed in this big fireball. Yeah, it was uh, it was impressive, and like I said, it come from left field. You know, and they did it right before. They picked the perfect time to do it right before intermission because nobody left their seat. <laughs> you know, everybody was talking about it. My God, what did we just see? We saw the fire. Then we saw Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Garvin, who was a heel, come to the aid of a baby face. And we were just like, what in the world did we just see? And, you know, when we were there watching, we didn't know all what was going on backstage. And, you know, Tony, you can touch on what happened backstage. Uh, yeah. You know, I told you about it earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the cool thing, uh, <laughs> uh, if you go back and watch the tape, it was neat seeing, you know, Jimmy Garvin's out there, you know, talking to, uh, to, to one of the announcers. Um, and then next thing you know, he just takes off running and goes and kicks the door into the heel locker room. And then baby faces, heels are all in there pulling, you know, Jimmy Garvin out of there. And then the camera pans off, and it shows them, you know, putting Jimmy or putting Ron Garvin in a car and rushing him off to the hospital. And then we don't see Ron Garvin for a couple of weeks. Um, and of course, then when he comes back, you know, his face is is burnt. Um, but I remember around that time, you know, of course, we we always talk about how funny Cornette is. But I think that's around about the time that Cornette started calling uh, Ron Garvin Max Headroom. <laughs> remember that, guys? <laughs> And the funny part was, is uh, what was it? Jim, uh, Cornette said that uh, he was uh, going to take a picture of Ronnie Garvin, and the flash blew up or something. The camera blew up. That was uh, yeah. <laughs> that was what he said in the interview on the uh, during the second show that that they filmed uh, that night. I'm telling you now, now Chris, of all the, yeah. the years of of you uh, put promoting shows, going to shows. Um, have you ever witnessed a, a fireball being thrown? Yes, I, I, I have. I you know have before both live, you know, and I do remember this one on on television uh, back in in early '87. And you know, I know we haven't mentioned their names, but they did a great job with this angle. You got to give it up to Tony Schiavone, David Crockett, and Bob Cottle. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, most definitely. They were they in really, shock. Mm-hmm. David Crockett was in in shock. Yes, and then Bob Caudle did the interview, you know, with uh, with with Jimmy Garvin, right? You know, right afterwards, on on making the save, and then also that they also did an interview with Ric Flair, just right after that that happened. And Ric Flair 
actually was quoted by saying that Ronnie Garvin's paying the price for being in the sport. And then he also even went on to allude that saying Precious would be his eventually, you know, with, with, with that particular angle. So there's some other things going on with that, but a great angle to set up for upcoming house shows and, 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 and future uh, TV exposure off of this. So, um, you know, yes, it, it, you got to give it up to the announcers because they really made what was happening in front of them really for the people watching on television. Yeah. And, and I like that, um, era. I, I know, a, you know, a lot of people nowadays probably have, have different opinions on, on announcers and commentators and things like that. But man, I'm telling you, Tony Schiavone, David Crockett and Bob Cottle will always be my three favorite commentators. I mean, they just, uh, you know, you had, Tony Schiavone, that was just a straight laced at the time, you know, straight laced. You know, he caught it right down the middle. David Crockett is over there completely for the baby faces. Bob Cottle was Bob Cottle, and he's a lot like Tony Schiavone. He caught it right down the middle. But Bob Bob's voice will always be, you know, NWA Mid Atlantic Wrestling, just like David Crockett and um, and Tony Schiavone. Uh, really, you know, I, I agree with you, Chris, one hundred percent. Those those commentators really got those angles over. Uh, or you know, help get those angles over and and get it off to a good start. And the co- the cool thing about this show is you as as we look at it, um, is there there were, there were so many feuds that were just building and you know and just it was starting. So so you know you had Jimmy Garvin turning babyface and and now now at this point we know Jimmy Garvin. I mean with his gimmick with the with the sequin robes or, or the sequin jackets and precious doing the doing the. Uh, the air freshener gimmick and everything. I mean, it was really, you know, Garvin went, went from being this heel to like this big baby face just overnight because Ron Garvin was, you know, he, he, you know, for all, all those years that he feud with Ric Flair, you know, he, he was over to a, to a degree. Um, and then when they put the Garvin brothers together at that point, Jimmy Garvin started to overshadow Ron Garvin because Ron had been there for a while. And of course, Jimmy was younger and he was flashier uh, and w- once they put them uh, in that feud with Ric Flair, uh, that that summer of '87, um, I think that really done done uh, Jimmy Garvin's career a justice, and kind of got him you know up there. Uh, so so that was cool. Um, and then of course now we got to talk about this uh, the World Tag Team Title match with Manny Fernandez, Rick Rude uh, defending the titles against Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. Of course, this match will end in a DQ, and it's actually a dark match, but. You know, I know we talked. We talked no, about earlier. Yeah, yeah, it was actually on Worldwide Wrestling. Oh, it was on. Okay, okay, I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah, Worldwide Wrestling. Yeah. Okay, okay, that was Worldwide yeah. Wrestling. Okay, and and then of course uh, around about this time is when Ivan Kolov brought in Vladimir Pietrov. But guys, let, let's stop this. Let's stop here for a second and think about this. Okay, when we seen Crusher Khrushchev, okay, and we heard Crusher Khrushchev talk. We said, okay, Crusher is from the north, <laughs> no doubt about it. He's from he's from up north. Of turns out he's from Minnesota. We get we get um, Nikita Koloff. Okay, we hear him talk. This guy's from Russia, no doubt in my mind. This guy is from Russia. They bring in Vladimir Pietrov, and I see his red beard, <laughs> and I'm like, this guy is from North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I loved how he never talked. Yeah, he never, he never let him talk. Yeah, he so, never spoke a word. Period. 
And they should have done that with Crusher Khrushchev as well. Because yeah. he didn't sound like Ivan. He didn't sound like Nikita. They were believable Russians, although they, they weren't from Russia. But you could believe those two guys were from Russia. But Crusher, no. And, uh, yeah, Vladimir, I mean, he just was like, you know, he never talked. So. Yeah. Now, um, uh, talking about Ivan Koloff, um, Chris, whenever you whenever you were running NDW, uh, mm-hmm. uh, didn't uh, you use Ivan Koloff pretty pretty regularly? Yes, yeah. What what a what a what a great guy. I mean, uh, uh, you know, very soft spoken um, uh, from what you may yeah. think you're going to get from Ivan Koloff when mm-hmm. you see him in an interview, but uh, uh, very appreciative. Um, you know, you know, always, you know, almost somewhat like Jimmy Valiant a little bit, you know, Hey, whatever yeah. you need, whatever you want, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, you know, let, let, let's have a good time tonight. And that's just who he was. And, you know, even towards his waning years in, in, in his career, um, you, you know, as well. And, uh, you know, great to work. And what a, what a great mentor for a lot of the guys, you know, coming up through the business and, and he, and he saw so many, it's, it's countless. You can't even begin to even count, but, uh, Great to work with, and 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 you know, just live locally around here, and, and, and kind of did his own thing. Yeah, uh, one of the cool. I've I've got a cool Ivan Koloff story. I got to tell you guys and, and tell my listeners at home. So around ninety nine to two thousand, I was running my own shows, and uh, and I was starting to um to to try to figure the the wrestling business out and how to promote and all that kind of thing. I was still trying to learn it, but. Um, but the, this one particular time, uh, you know, I, I always use Jimmy Valiant cause you know, he's my mentor and, uh, and good friend. So I, I used him on all my shows. So one day me and my, um, my, my buddies that were helping me run shows got this idea. Hey, let's bring in, uh, Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones. Okay. So Bo- Boogie gets me Paul Jones's number. I'm calling Paul. Paul's kayfabing me. Okay. He's not, I, he's, I'm leaving message after message after message, but he's not returning the call. Uh, of course, I didn't know that he was he, he was sick at the time, so that, that explains why I didn't get a, a call back from Paul Jones. So I asked Boogie. I called Boogie back. I said, Boogie, uh, I'm not getting Jones on the phone. Uh, do you have any other suggestions? Because I want to I want to bring in you know somebody else from Mid Atlantic uh, that that we can you know you know do do something with and maybe draw a little money. And he goes, Yeah. He goes, How about Ivan? I said, Oh yeah. I, I said, We'll do Ivan. So he gives me Ivan's number. I call Ivan and I say, Hey Ivan, you know, this is a uh, Tony, um, Jimmy Vatt gave me your number. I want to do this show in like three months. going to bring you in, blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, no, no worries. You know, here, you know, here's my fee. Uh, where's the show going to be at? And I tell him it's high point. He goes, Oh, it's like a two hour drive from my house. I'm all about it. I'll be there. Okay. Perfect. So gets to the show. He don't really know me. You know, he, he don't know me. This is our first time meeting boogies out there selling these gimmicks. So I walk over, Ivan comes in, I introduce myself to Ivan. Hey, Ivan, I'm Tony, I'm the promoter. He says, hey, I'm going to need my money before I go out. And I said, what? He goes, I'm going to need my money before I go out. And I said, well, uh, I pay everybody at the end of the night. And he goes, well, um, brother, I I don't think I can put on my gear until you give me, you know, my my money. He said, no offense to you. He goes, no offense to you. I don't know you. But I have been burned so many times, I don't trust any promoters. And I said, okay. I said, and right as I'm getting ready to go get the money, Boogie walks in the dressing room. And he's like, Ivan, brother. You know, they're, they're shaking hands. 
and uh, and I look at him, and Ivan goes, "Brother, here's about about to go go uh, get my payoff." And uh, he said, "Go ahead and get Boogie's too." And Boogie goes, "No." He goes, "Ivan, listen, Tony is gold." Okay, he said, uh, "If if if there if there's a promoter out here that 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 won't pay you, it ain't Tony." He said, "He always takes good care of me. He puts me up in a house. He feeds me." He said, "Listen." You ain't got to worry about Tony. So Ivan looks at me and goes, brother, just pay me after the show. It's okay. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. He went from wanting his money to, oh, yeah, it's okay. No worries. So that that was the first funny story. And then the other funny story, this all happened, you know, all together about the same time. So one of my one of the wrestlers had went into the bathroom there in the locker room, and I guess he must have stepped on some toilet paper, and it was stuck on the bottom of his boot. So he comes he comes around the corner, and he's got this this toilet paper stuck on the bottom of his wrestling boot. And Jeff, it, it, it was my cousin Mark. Okay, this, this is who, who had the toilet paper stuck on the bottom of his boot, and the toilet paper was about I don't know three like it was probably like two feet worth of toilet paper stuck on the bottom of his, of his boot. And he kept walking, and Ivan goes. He starts talking in his Russian in his Russian um, accent. He says, "Hey, brother." He goes, "What is that? Your finish? That's your finish." And Mark's like, Mark's looking like, what? He goes, that's a crappy finish you got there. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Wow. Right? And so <laughs> I start laughing, right? And so that, that was, that was kind of funny. But here was the highlight of the whole night. So we decided to, to put this thing together as a six-man. So on one side of the ring, it's me, Ivan Koloff, and uh, this guy named Mike. And on the other side of the ring is it's uh, Mark, my cousin Mark, my friend Kenny, and Boogie. So Boogie and uh, me and Boogie in the ring, we start the match. We, we do our little spots, and uh, and then we get Ivan in there, and Ivan's like choking the crap out of Kenny, which is really cool. You know, he's doing this little choke gimmick. But but here's the crazy thing, because uh, Jeff, you know how Mark would take all these all these crazy bumps. So uh, Mark tells me drop kick him off the apron. So I drop kick him off the apron. He goes flying out and onto the floor. Ivan goes, tag me in, brother. Tag me in. Tag me in. And I was like, wait a minute. We're about to do a spot here, you know. I was like, tag me in. And so I tag Ivan in. <clears throat> Ivan comes in the ring, um, and he goes over there, and he, he says, brother, get back up on the ring. So he, so he, so I throw Mark into the ring, and uh, Ivan picks him up, and he goes, do that bump again, brother. <laughs> he is Mark. <laughs> And Mark goes flying off the ring again, and then Ivan starts talking. Hey, and he's of course staying in his Russian gimmick voice. He says, "Hey, where you going? I'm just getting to know you." <laughs> it was just so freaking cool. It was hilarious. And uh, so I get back in the ring, and Ivan comes over to me. He goes, "This brother take another bump like that. He won't live another year." <laughs> he does it all the time. That's how he is. And uh, but when we got done with this with the match, we went back to the dressing room and. I, I gave him his envelope. He hugged my neck and he said, "Brother, anytime you want me on the show, I, I'm your man." It's okay. So I don't know. Three or four months later, I'm working for another promoter, and I was on the show. And I walk in, and and uh, he remembered me right off the bat. Hey, Tony, man, come over here and give me a hug. And so I gave him a hug. But but you're right, man. Ivan Koloff was <laughs> just like Boogie. He's hilarious. Um, he was a great man. Uh, and if anybody didn't get a chance to know Ivan before he passed away, you definitely missed out on 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 meeting a genuine uh, lovable guy. Absolutely, I, I, you know Ivan. You know 
when I think of Ivan and Boogie coming back from the old, you know, WWF days, Ivan was in some big wars up there back in the, the late oh, 70s yeah. and early 80s. And, and, and I think a lot of people forget that with the, the Russian angle they did up that way. Um, you know, and uh, he was he did some great things in the wrestling business and, and really kept his career going. I mean, really... The NWA really kept his career going as he, you know, he was getting up there in age. Well, you know, one of the things that that, that that will show you how amazing Ivan was. I mean, he's the guy that dethroned Bruno in the in Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden. You know, yeah, right. The WWF World Heavyweight Title from Bruno right. Martina. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and so a lot of people forget that you know, kind of stuff. And the fact that he is not in the hall of fame is, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's definitely a travesty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Ivan was, you know, there's uh, been a lot of great Russian, Russian wrestlers. Um, I mean, Nikita is up there in popularity, but when it comes to a, you know, uh, a great worker, a great talker, a great, everything in he had it all. Ivan Kolf was like a total package. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, Nikita, Krusha Khrushchev, Vladimir, those guys really kept his career going. And, and from him, yeah, he was still in the ring working, but almost a, a semi mentoring kind of, uh, you know, angle as well. Right. Yeah. You know, going on with all that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, uh, definitely some, um, some, some really cool, um, things that Ivan did, uh, I mean, you know, from, and especially, I mean, in the, in the WWF, um, he, you know, he was world champion and then, but, but when he come to mid Atlantic, I mean, he, he didn't stop there. He was involved in a lot of, you know, major feuds at the time, you know, him and, um, uh, um, probably the Carolinas, Don Carnoodle, uh, were mm-hmm. NWA World Tag Team Champions, and uh, and they they were like you know at, at the top of the uh, of the levels there uh, in, in the early in the early eighties uh, until you know finally the Rock Express came in and, and upset them. But I mean Ivan, I mean we could talk all night about Ivan Koloff for sure. Absolutely, absolutely, we could do a whole episode on it with with no problem at all. So now uh, it takes us to um, our next match, uh, the American Dream Dusty Rose against the new uh, the, the the new person that Ivan went out and found, Vladimir Pietrov. Uh, what are you guys' memories about about Vladimir? He was huge. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that guy was definitely on the juice, and he was big. I mean, he was bigger. I think he was bigger than when Nikita first came in. You know, I mean, uh, he was huge. Couldn't work very well, but he was huge. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I think that was for all the Russians. I mean, they were all big. I, I mean, and that was kind of the angle that they were working. They were big. They were dominant. You know, they're going to potentially take over. And I think that was kind of the, the mentality a little bit. And in reading some notes from this match, you know, it says Ivan escorted, you know, Vladimir to the ring, and then you know Rhodes attacked Ivan quickly, causing Pietrov to carry Koloff all the way backstage. And then actually, only the first two or three minutes of the match 
were actually shown on the broadcast. And, you know, you have to love the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions back in the day when, and I used to always hate this as a kid growing up, when I saw that, 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 that cast of who was behind the scenes going up, I knew they were going off the air and trying to watch that last 30 or 40 seconds. I'm like, oh, my God, what are they going to show or not show? And they're like, and I always remember Tony Schiavone would always like, we're going to see you next week, and you're always going to tune in the oh. following week. And they, they had it down to a science. Yeah, for sure. I mean, always it was, it was so good. Uh, I miss those days. Um, and then, of course, it takes us to our final, our final match. Um, uh, Ric Flair, the world heavyweight champion, uh, defending against the Russian nightmare Nikita Koloff. Uh, when these guys got together, it was always, it was always interesting. Uh, they always, uh, Flair always made Nikita look like a million dollars. Um, except for the time at Starcade 86. We all know about that, right, guys? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Chris, you, you, know, you, do uh, you know what I'm alluding to? Starcade 86, Rick Flair and Nikita Koloff? Yeah, I'm having a flashback here. You might need to clue me in just a uh, hair, but so, I think Jeff. So, so in uh, Starcade 86. Uh, there was a spot on there, and the camera guys didn't bleep. You know, when when they made the videotape, they did not bleep this out. And if you go on YouTube, fans, you, you'll see this. But Nikita, or Ric Flair, lifts Nikita up in a vertical suplex. But when Flair went to lift him up, he pulled his tights to the side, and um, and the uh, and Nikita Koloff's Russian hammer fell out. Uh. And and it gets and it gets better because um because as soon as he takes the bump, uh, you know, and bounces boom, 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 um Tommy Young puts the hammer back into the uh Russian tights. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> and he doesn't and he doesn't miss a beat. And as soon as and after Tommy Young tucks it back in Nikita jumps up and gives Flair the Russian sickle. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> oh my god! And Jeff wow. I, and Jeff, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but that 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 kind of happened to two terrific Tony one time. Jeff and I were teaming up, and we were uh, going against my cousin Mark and my friend Kenny. And not very often did I wear wrestling trunks. But this night I wore trunks and Mark pulled a Ric Flair on me. He suplexed me and my penis fell out and it was bouncing all around there at ringside. And, uh, I may or may not left it out for a couple minutes for somebody to see at ringside. Who knows? But anyway, that's another story. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that was some fun times, but anyway, get, but, but guys, this, this, this TV taping was, was spectacular. Uh, like, like we said, a lot of cool angles, um, started out with this. Um, what, what are y'all's thoughts as, as we're, as, as we're nearing the end? Um, what, what are y'all's thoughts on, um, on television tapings, like, like the way they used to be, um, as opposed to how they are now? Um, if, if, if you guys were, were running shows at this point in time, would, would, would you guys go back to this format of, of having your stars versus jobbers? Or would you keep doing it kind of the way they do it now, with where, where, where you get to go and see everything happen? Well, I like the mentality of having jobbers. Um, 
you know, because it just to me it made uh, it was an opportunity for your main guys to look bigger and better. Uh, to me, to me, that's the way it looked. Uh, and going back to this show, uh, probably one of the best matches of the whole show was not even taped. It wasn't on TV, and uh, it was uh, Tully Blanchard was world television champion, and he defended against a jobber named Ricky Lee Jones, and Tully's out there taking bumps, and we're like, he's going to win the TV title, and it's not going to be taped. And, of course, Tully ended up winning and doing the slingshot suplex. But uh, um, if you watch this, you know, you, you can YouTube the shows, and it'll, you can see the, the bump shows, uh, NWA Pro Wrestling and Worldwide Wrestling. And during the Jimmy Garvin interview, uh, where they're showing the highlights of the match, and in the interview, Jimmy Garvin, um, after everything's done, you can hear the crowd in the background cheering. Well, that's because of that match is going on the whole time they're interviewing Jimmy Garvin. Um, but I like the, the old, uh, the way they did things back then. And then, of course, every now and then they put, you know, main event matches on TV, but they always did the cutoff, like we talked, like Chris was saying earlier. You know, they used to make me mad as a kid. But as you become a wrestler in the business, you're like, that was a good idea. And whenever we did our uh, BCW TV shows, I did that a few times, uh, you know, to make everybody want to tune in next week to see who won that match that was cut off last week. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to agree with Jeff. You know, me, you know, growing up, you know, and again, I was really, really heavily exposed to WWF wrestling. I do like the format of the bigger name guys, whether they were, you know, a baby face or a heel going up against lesser talent, not a skilled talent, no matter what their position was in the ring, because I knew they were going to win, but there was always, I think Jeff could agree with me. There was always maybe that element of surprise that could happen. Yes. And it always happened once in a while, once in a blue moon, a jobber may get over. And that was huge from a storyline standpoint. You know, today everyone's a talent, everyone's a superstar, and, and it is what it is. But I actually like the old school format, and it did give the opportunity to promote that A-level talent to when off the of television and they went to the house shows, you knew what you were getting and you were working off of the storylines off of TV. Yeah. And real quick, I want to add another point. That's why Tully Blanchard was so hated. He's to me he's the ultimate heel. And I always tell people, you know, young people that want to learn. And I, I've had guys tell me, man, teach me how to be a heel. I'll say, go YouTube, watch Tully Blanchard. That's all I'll say because he had that. Even jobbers, man, you think jobbers are going to beat him, and he always steals it at the end. He's so clever. Yeah, uh, and. Unbelievable. One of the things There's about always they, they were always the best at getting that one extra move in to get the three count. Yeah, and and that was the the difference, and that was the psychology working on the fans in, in the crowd of of, of telling the storyline off of television to what was happening and happening in front of you live. Yeah, and and you know one of the um, 
one 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 of the things that I I liked but uh, I liked the most about Tully Blanchard was uh, how he used to could run fast backwards. You know what I mean? Like he he you remember you remember how he used to circle and then he just run backwards and roll out roll right out of the ring so quick. I, I just love how he did that. Uh, Tully was always one of my favorite um favorite favorite bad guys because um, he he was kind of like you know before wrestling got you know as commercialized i guess is a good word to use um but tully was like one of the first badass heels you know like like cool he, like, and when i say badass i mean like cool like you know he you know he, he was coming out there first with the uh you know the with the gold nugget um watches and and his name you know embroidered on the sleeves of his shirt and he just dressed cool looked cool and and then when, whenever he whenever he was on the search for baby doll uh, they they would do the, those those little videos each week, like those little music videos, and it showed Tully like out on the town. He's drinking, you know, he's drinking cocktails, and he's looking at all the different type of women, and he's driving a Ro- the Rolls Royce, um, and and he just looked, you know, cool, like, you know. I remember the the first time I ever saw Tully Blanchard uh, wasn't on the NWA. It was actually in World Class Championship Wrestling, and he was a he was a team with the late great Gino Hernandez. And uh, and I was like, man, th- th- these guys are cool. And like the very next week, Tully was gone, and then on, and then he, he you know, he appeared on uh, Mid Atlantic Wrestling, uh, and and right off the bat, become the television champion. And and in my opinion, uh, Tully made the t- he made that that TV title belt. You know, case in point, Tony, we're talking about Tully Blanchard. The one thing I remember about this wrestling event when I was a kid was. You know, the fireball, Ronnie Garvin getting burnt, the whole deal, you know, with Jimmy Garvin and all that. But the second thing I remember most was Tully Blanchard almost lost his belt to a job guy. Right. I mean, that's how great the man was. And that's one in the crowd, just how they were into his match. And that's that's the two things that I remember most about the show. You know, guys. Uh, he just knew how to do it. I yeah. mean, even from the close three counts to anything, Tully, and he did it really with not a big voice on the microphone either. Right. Yeah. To yeah. an extent, it was it was mm-hmm. totally psychology, just off of a TV screen, and then we go back to those announcers as yeah. well, creating that picture. They're creating this memoir in your mind. And that's what that's what sits with you at the end of the day. Yeah, and I also like how Tully, you know, when he was television champion, he would come out there with the briefcase of ten thousand dollars of the TV title. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 just added more element, you know, to to the gimmick. Uh, and I you know I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I mean, like I said, Tully was awesome. Uh, now our show that we're going to be doing next week, guys. I was thinking, um, try, you know. Kind of like staying in 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 this little this little theme that we got, uh, going back and looking at old shows and and breaking them down. Um, I think uh, next week we're uh, going to do uh, one on um, the end of the uh, World Championship Wrestling Superstars on the Superstation. Uh, you, you guys uh, remember much about that about that show? Yes, it was uh, live on uh, WTBS. Yes. Yeah, there you go. In 1986, uh, yeah, I remember a few things about that. I remember the the big title change. I believe that was the very first match on the on the card, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 
Yeah, superstars on Superstation. Uh, it, it was like it was kind of like, in my opinion, it was kind of like the the very first um, uh, Clash of the Champions. Really, uh, you know, you, you you had like a lot of feuds that were going on there: the Road Warriors and the Russians, uh, Dusty and Tully, Flair and and um, and Ron Garvin, Rockland Express, Midnight Express. Uh, it's just it's just uh, it was it was a really cool show. So I'm definitely um, I'm definitely looking forward to um, you know to, to, to breaking that one down next week, um, but guys, uh, as 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 we uh, prepare to um, to end this week's show, uh, what what are your thoughts um, on, um, on 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 this this show in particular that we talked about today, the the uh, TV taping? Uh, again, it was it was a great experience as a, as a fourteen year old, um, and I learned a lot about pro wrestling back then. Um, and the coolest thing is I also got a car out of the deal. My cousin, <laughs> I was 14 <clears throat> and, uh, I love my cousin's car so much that when I turned 16, and got my driver's license. Uh, she, I, she knew I loved her car so much that she had, uh, she offered to sell it to me because they wanted a truck. Her and her husband wanted a truck. So I bought the car. So the car we rode to Charlotte in uh, is the car I bought two years later for my first vehicle. Now, was uh, that the uh, the uh, Cavalier? Because I think when I met you, you were no, driving a red was, Cavalier. Yeah, that was my first brand new car. Okay. Uh, this was a 1981 Toyota Celica Super. Oh, okay. Nice little car. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little uh, car. Chris, I have to tell you a funny story about Jeff and I. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, when when I first met Jeff, uh, he, you know, like I said, he had that Cavalier, and uh, I can't remember. I think I may have had a Honda Accord. Uh, but you know, when I first met Jeff. You know, I uh, I don't think at the time nobody wanted nobody wanted me to wrestle because I was I wasn't very big, and so Jeff's like, yeah, right. I'm, I'll I'll make you a manager, and I'm like, no, I'm keep pushing. No, I want to wrestle. I want to wrestle. I want to wrestle. Wrestle. So finally, you know, he lets me wrestle, whatever. And so, and then as the years go on, I, I you know, I, I think I got a little bit better. I'm not sure, but anyway. So Jeff and I formed a tag team, okay, at one time, and and of course, in our tag team, we uh, we pretty much ripped off everybody. We were we were taking stuff from Midnight Express, and Jeff was taking things from Dusty Roads, and I was taking things from Totally. But I mean, we just we just took a whole montage oh, of everything and mixed it all up in the blender, and that's what it was. But but uh, but Jeff and I like lived our tag team so much. Jeff Jeff got a Camaro, and he calls me on the phone. He's like, "Hey, brother, because I I got I got I got a new car." I said, "What'd you get?" I got a Camaro. I'm like, "Oh, cool." So guess what I did? I got a Camaro too. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> so I'm like, "Hey, if if, if we're gonna hey. be a, if we're gonna do this, man, let's, let's do it right." We, 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 we're, we're doing it together. Hey, and, and just to go off of Jeff, and I wasn't at this show, and and and, and Jeff, I, I'm so grateful that you had to see this show. What a, what a great array of talent on the evening in Charlotte. You kind of saw it all. You saw some dark matches. You saw some TV tapings. Obviously, you know, the big draws, as I'm looking at the show, or, you know, you got Flair, Dusty, Rock and Roll, Luger around the show, and, and, and numerous others that draw that crowd there. But then, Tony, like I mentioned to you earlier today, off of this TV taping, and Jeff may not even know that, know this, is the NWA shot up to Canada the next day and did uh, five shows in four nights up in Canada um, right off of this TV taping, and they cleaned up really quick up there in Canada and were back down 
in the Mid Atlantic the, the following weekend. So it, it, these guys are wrestling, you know, seven, eight, nine times a week with with no problem at all. And and see that's amazing. Uh, the the array of talent, and then to, you know to be able to go literally all over the world uh, in a week. I mean, we've uh, heard them heard them say this uh, several times in the eighties during this time period. They wrestled every single day, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. I mean, you know, they were they were they were tearing it down. You know, yes, they were. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they, they, they were. They really were. And, I mean, if, if if some of these guys were lucky, Monday may have been their day off. And, and, and the rest, they were they were rolling. And Crockett, you know, was running shows, one show, you know, a night Monday through Friday. And they were doing double shots on Saturday, Sunday. And some of the guys, like I said, were working seven, eight, nine times a week. And if you're Flair you're working that seven to nine times a week with no problem, at least at this juncture of his career where he was with the NWA championship. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, um, you know, so like, like, you know, like, like, like we kind of touched on so many feuds, uh, were, were showcased, uh, and started and angles were started, uh, just, just off of this TV tape. And, and, and I, and I think a, a lot of the, the younger fans as today, uh, don't really understand that. Uh, how important these TV tapings were, because on the TV tapings, that's that's where they 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 shot the angles to uh, to to get you know to get the angles started to 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 work towards the big show. Because back then, uh, there wasn't a big show every every Monday night. There wasn't a pay per view every month. Uh, back in these days, you had the Great American Bash in the summer, and you had Starcade on Thanksgiving. And that's all you had, you know? So, that so was about it. Yeah. So during that time, these wrestlers had to work extremely hard, uh, putting these feuds together, drawing money, drawing heat to, to make it to the, the two big shows of the year, you know? So I, I, I thought that was outstanding. And, and, and my opinion, I think that's why back then the wrestlers worked a lot harder than they do now. And I'm not saying the wrestlers don't work hard now. They do, but not like they did here when they work in, uh, you know, seven days a week, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. I mean, it's it's, it's pretty amazing when you, when you think about it. It really is, and how they got from town to town, and the road miles, the airlines, you know, whatever they had to do, the, the air miles. It, it was uh, they've got classic stories, and some you could sit back and just listen, and just kind of sometimes just take it all in, and that's okay too. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and I saw you talking about you know the horsemen, how big they were back in those days. Um, I listened to Art Anderson's podcast, and he was talking about somebody asked the question, uh, "When did you guys sleep?" And Art said, "Well, he said we get back, we wrestle, uh, we get it to the arena at you know five o'clock, and the show would start at seven or eight, and usually we were toward the end of the." Show hard so we didn't get done till 10 or 11 and we get in the shower uh we'd go out and party till three four o'clock in the morning and we'd go to the motel for two or three hours and sleep and then we'd get up next morning go to the gym and then you had to be at the airport at 11 o'clock to get on the plane by 12 and fly to the next town so that was it you slept three hours and you might have slept on the plane but that was it I mean, yeah, they were, they were and going. that was just that was a crazy time. I mean, 
for some of those guys, depending where the next shot was next night, it could even even been before 11 a.m. in the morning. It just all depends, but that's that's some tough going day day to day. Yeah, de- def- definitely. So I mean, I, you know, the, the kids today they have no clue about the stuff in the eighties. I I live this, but I'll say this to the day I die. If you didn't live in the eighties, you, you didn't live, baby, because that's that that's that's when the fun was. Well, guys, thank you uh, for joining me on this show. Thank you for uh, breaking this down. Uh, it was really fun. I enjoyed it going going back down memory lane and and re- reliving some of these uh, major angles that was shot in the NWA uh, during nineteen eighty seven. Next week, I'm, I'm excited about that show as we're going to be talking about the superstars on the Superstation. Uh, some some really cool stuff happened on that show as well. Um, so make sure you guys tune in um, next week and um, and and, um, and and listen as we talk about that. Um, also, uh, fans, make make sure uh, you know after this show you you, you go and download our um, you know like like you know uh, I can't even talk, guys. I'm I'm so excited. But go and download uh, our episode on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you're doing that and and hit that like button. And also um, make sure that 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 you go and check us out on Facebook each week um and uh because our facebook page is is updated uh weekly uh every week i try to get on there and um and put on there uh what our what our next podcast is going to be about so make sure you tune in for that uh chris and jeff thanks again guys for joining me uh and we look forward to talking to you guys more next week so fans make sure you tune in and, and check out our show Thank you for listening to The Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.